what is going on, you're in them more than ever. Uh, turn with me to James. We're just going to be in the book of, uh, we're going to be in a lot of verses, but I, that's where we're going to settle in. Um, so, you know, crazy week, crazy week here at our church. Pastor Bruce and Darla are on vacation, uh, attempted to ski, but of course the ski resorts are all shut down. Uh, I, for uh, at least for Terry, the Duns, and for us, uh, JBU closed down. And so uh, Amber is an RA trying to help these kids to, at first they had a week to get out of their dorm. Then uh, the governor declared a state of emergency, and that week became tomorrow. And uh, so they have a, a great majority of uh, missions uh, kids as well as international students. So think on that. Kids had to make decisions uh, within four days whether they were going to go back to their country or stay here in the U.S. If they're going to stay in the U.S., where are they going to stay at? And so, uh, you know, uh, for us, you know, for our daughters, they're they're down in another state, you know, which is, a, you know, just an interesting thing, uh, staying with people I've never met. So interesting. And who didn't want uh, and understandably want travel back and forth between there and and Kansas City. And so she's down there until she decides that uh, she wants to do online studies here from home. So a lot of changes and just decided, you know what, uh, let's talk about it, right? So uh, obviously you've been reading a lot of articles about the virus, a lot of articles about whether churches should close or stay open, which is very fluid. As you know, the, the city of Kansas City, the, the mayor has asked any uh, gatherings over a thousand people. So mega churches obviously are not meeting. And so we're meeting today, what that means for tomorrow, what the, or for next week, you know, I don't know, it's spring break, so we don't have Juanas this week, and, and so please stay alert to our Facebook page and to our website, and we'll keep you alert. But here's what I want to give you today, and uh, a lot of what I've been thinking about has brought me back in different ways to James. And so I want to give you this morning eight ways to gain wisdom from the coronavirus. And here's what wisdom is. Wisdom is seeing life from God's perspective and living accordingly. Seeing life from God's perspective and living accordingly. And so we're in James. Turn your Bibles there to James chapter 1. And let's just look at James 1, 5 through 7 as kind of an intro to what we want to do. And here's what it says. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach. God is not, uh, you know, will not shame you for saying, I don't know what to do, God. Give me wisdom. He will give it to you generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Or you could say driven and tossed by the coronavirus. In other words, you know, the the panic, the the, what are we going to do and where are we going to go? For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. And then turn over to chapter 3, verses 11 through 18. Chapter 3, verses 11 through 18. Here is a classic definition of what biblical wisdom is. So we need to be discerning. Who among you, verse 13 of, of, uh, I'm sorry, James 3. Yeah, let's begin in verse 13. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior and his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And the seed 
whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So I want to give you that perspective. And I want you to carry it in. You know, if we don't meet, if we're online next week and, and the week after that and the week after that, I want you to be thinking about this. I'm going to be spending my time in the book of James. That's what I decided. Is, uh, you know, I, I, I finished reading through the Bible for my uh, previous plan and have been, you know, okay, what do I want to do next? Well, I think for, I'm going to, I'm going to spend some time in James. So here's the thing. I read this article by a pastor in Milan, Italy. So as you know, Italy, uh, you know, next to China has just been, you know, right in the center of this. And people have been quarantined. They're singing from their balconies to one another. And this pastor wrote an article. His name is Mark Oden. And uh, it resonated with me because I'm having many of the same thoughts that he had because this may be our future. Now, hopefully, we're, we're ahead of this. I don't know as a country. We just don't know. So hopefully, we're ahead of this, and we're not going to experience what some of these other countries have, but it could be our reality, and it's an increasing reality, as you heard just now, for many of our missionaries, okay? So this is global, and so uh, Metro Manila, the whole, I mean, Metro Manila, you know, like one of the top, what, five mega cities in the world is like in complete shutdown, okay? So like the Nisleys live outside of the city, so they had to go in the city, get what they needed. And for a month now, they're just not going to be able to go into the city. Um, so this affects. So here's how Mark opened his article, okay? And it's uploaded to our website, so you can read it there. But here's what, what he said. He said, I awoke this morning in Naples, Italy's, in Naples, Italy's third city, to have been placed on lockdown. Public gatherings, including church services, have been forbidden. Weddings, funerals, baptisms have been canceled. Schools and cinemas, museums and gyms have all been closed. My wife and I just returned from grocery shopping trip that took two hours due to long checkout lines. Italy currently has the highest reported number of coronaviruses outside of China, 9,172 cases and 463 deaths. As a result, 60 million people have been told to remain in their homes unless absolutely necessary. Now, how are we as Christians to respond to such a crisis? Answer, with faith, not fear. We're to look into the eye of the storm and ask, Lord, what are you wanting me to learn through this? How are you seeking to change me? Seeing life from God's perspective and then living accordingly. And so here are eight things, and I've adapted those and, and just thought through those. So here, you know, here they are. Here's some things to think about to get God's perspective. And there's a contrast in each one between our humanness and God's greatness, okay? So let's take a look at it. First of all, our fragility and God's stability. Our fragility and God's stability or our brevity and God's stability. Hey, we are made of dust, we are weak, and we are powerless when it comes down to it, okay? And this global crisis is really teaching humanity just how weak we are, okay? We're trying our best to contain... <coughs> I'm okay. We're trying to contain the spread and... Uh, and I knew I was going to have a catch in my throat today. I'm like, Lord, of all days, not to have the catch. Well, how are you doing, Jim? Okay, so I'll stay over here. Um, so, you know, we're going to try to contain this thing. But let's say, what happens if there comes a virus that, you know, you can't contain? I mean, it's really, you know, novel means there is no antibodies. This hasn't been exposed to anyone ever before. And that's the seriousness of it. We're trying our best to contain it, and the, for the most part, I'm confident that we will have eventual success. But I think the psalmist words of Psalm 103, which is one of my favorite go-to psalms in times of suffering and just of just clarity. Listen to Psalm 103, and you can turn to these passages uh, in your Bible. Psalms 103, 15 through 18. Psalms 103, 
15 through 18. And here's what he says. Verse 15. As for man, his days are like grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourishes. And when the wind has passed over it, it is no more. And its place acknowledges it no longer. Now that's just how frail, how weak, and how brief our life is. But it doesn't stop there. Look at verse 17. But the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him. And His righteousness to children's children, to those who keep His covenant and remember His precepts. So you have the fragility, the brevity of mankind, and the stability of God. Now turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Because in 1 Peter, Peter takes the same verses and then applies it to the gospel. So look at 1 Peter 1, 23 through 25. 1 Peter 1, 23 through uh, 25. So take a look at that. Verse 23. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, though the living through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls off. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. So, in and of ourselves, we're fragile, we're weak, we're temporary. But through the imperishable word of God, when you embrace the gospel, then... You are enduring and you have God's stability. So here's two things that I think this reminds us to do. First of all, this pandemic is a reminder that life is short. Life is short. And listen to James 4.14. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. And we're literally, that's true every day, but we're actually living that now. You don't know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. So it's like when you walk out and it's cold and you breathe and there's a vapor there. And for a minute it's there, you see it, and then it's gone. That's our life. So life is short. And then secondly, teach us to number our days and trust Him each and every day. Listen to Psalm 90.12. So teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Listen, if you want to grow in wisdom, then number your days. Realize how short life is. Realize how fragile life is. And understand the stability and the power of the gospel. So that's the first thing. Our fragility and God's stability. Number two, our humanity and God's sovereignty. Our humanity and God's sovereignty. This pandemic is global. And what's interesting is it's no respecter of persons, okay? This isn't just China's virus. This is our virus. It's in Afghanistan. It's in Belgium. It's in Cambodia. It's in Denmark. It's in France. It is here. And soon we're going to have, I guarantee you, we're going to have confirmed cases in our communities. Uh, The Gandhis, they have a confirmed case just two houses down from where we live. What's interesting is... Often, when we have our missions reports, uh, it's like, oh, things are going over there. We need to pray for them over there. Well, guess what? Now we're experiencing the same thing that our partners are experiencing. So this morning, uh, Amsterdam had, last week, suddenly ordered no public gatherings, over 100. And since the uh, Grace Church there in Amsterdam with the O'Grady's hovers, is hover and bumping up to that number, they, they, they canceled their services. And so, uh, Corey, like perhaps we will have to figure out, okay, how am I going to do this online? I've already told you, Metro Manila shut down, so that impacts the Lions and the Nisleys. I told you about the Gandys, so cases are there. The Mortons we just had a report with. This week I met with the McAllisters. 
workers who are, as of right now, still planning to go back to Germany uh, on tax day. And so the rea- you know, so here they are with their young kids, and they're, okay, we're going to go back, and realizing that you're not going to necessarily be able to immediately come back, you know. And so that's what's going there. And then to, uh, just this weekend, today, the Calmies ordained their um, uh, national pastor for their church, not so much related to the virus, but to the expulsion that they are feeling they're going to face. So, and then church planners here in the states; these are things you don't think about. So, church planners, you know, these guys often meet in schools. Well, guess what? Schools are shut down. So now you got school uh, church planners around the country who are suddenly having to find a new place. But guess what? New places are more expensive and are going to be hard to find. So this is affecting all sorts of people and I already talked about even in our family college students school shutting down so we're all members of a great human family created in God's image so this is interesting right we're different by language we're different by skin color we're different by heritage we're different by culture but guess what that virus knows no difference in borders or ethnicity or race it just knows a human host. And so we see a shared humanity. But in that, guess what? God is sovereign over the countries. God is sovereign over the nations. And God is sovereign over even sickness. So look at Acts 17. Look at Acts 17, verses 23 through 27. Uh, those of you that are in uh, one of our grow groups that are studying honest evangelism, we just read this last week, and it's just a great verse uh, reminding us of God's sovereignty over the nations and even over unsaved people and how God uses the nations of the world, and I'm telling you, using a global pandemic to cause people to look up to him and to search for him. Okay, so let's read this. Acts 17, 23 through 27. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. And here he begins his gospel presentation. The God who made the world and all things in it, Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, his sovereignty as creator does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. Listen, we are dependent on him more than antibodies, more than even social distancing or quarantine. At the end of the day, we are dependent on him for life and breath and all things. And then notice verse 26. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their, inha- of their habitation. Why? Why did God scatter the nations? That they would seek God, if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Listen, people are gripped with fear and they grope for God. And what they need is for God's people like us to point them to the good news. But if we're self-focused, if we're fearful, if we're, in a sense, groping for God because we're not in his word and we're not having God's perspective on this, we're going to be no help to the people around us. Okay, we're not going to be people like Paul was. So basically, Paul's saying, hey, you guys, basically, he said it in a real nice way. You're all blind and you're groping. And guess what? You're reaching and you're even worshiping a God that you do not know, but I know him. And we're all in this together. That's what he was saying. It's not Jew, Greek. It's not, he was there in Athens. It's not about wisdom and foolishness. It's about humanity and God's sovereignty. So that, get that perspective. Number three, our inability and God's ability. Our inability 
in God's ability. The coronavirus and this pandemic can give us God's perspective on our inability and God's ability. And now this is a big one. Because we all love to be in... Woohoo! See, we don't even have to guess about that. I didn't even have to say, maybe I'll have to help them. We all like to be in control. And living here in the West, and particularly living here in America, we have the blessing and the curse of feeding that illusion that we are in control. Cars start, most part, every morning. Uh, we have computers. We, we don't even handle money that much anymore. We just do a click here, and it goes there, and it shows up here. And, and just life is... Get, technology gives us that illusion, that bubble of being in control. And I'm telling you, one of the most gracious things God does is allow these kind of crises in our life so that we are reminded of our inability and his great ability. Amen? Amen. Because, you know, you can hoard and you can do all these things, but if this thing goes, you know, sideways for a long time, you know, it's over. It's God who's got to be your provider. So listen, what about us? Uh, you know, I mean, everything was wiped down today. All door, everything this morning, everything wiped down. We can have all the disinfected and all those wipes. And I hope you got those at home, and I hope you're using those. My wife was out. Uh, she can tell you all sorts of fun stories from yesterday and, and crawling around. I mean, how many people did you beat up for our antiseptic wipes you got? No, nobody? Okay. But God helped you out, didn't he? You were there right at the right time, and she got some things that we needed. So here's the thing, though. Are we really in control? Hardly. So go to James 4. James 4, 13 through 17. James 4, 13 through 17. And it's this passage, probably more than any other, that really kept resonating and popping up with me in this past week. James 4, 13 through 17. Look at verse 13 in your Bibles. Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow, we're going to go to such and such city and spend a year there, engage in business, and make a profit. It's going to be good. We got our whole year planned out. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow, much less a year from now. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do I mean, do this or that. Now, think of what he's saying. If the Lord wills, notice the first words, we will live. You know, the first thing is, hey, I don't know. Every time you go to bed, you don't know that you're going to wake up. Every time you go to work, you don't know that you're going to come home. Every time you say goodbye to a loved one, you don't know if it's the last time you will see them or what circumstances may be the next time you see them. And so he says, look, if the Lord lives, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. What is he saying? He's saying, look, if you know God is large and in charge, if you know that it's God's ability by which you live and you don't recognize that, it's sin. So do you realize just a day without prayer is sin? Because a day without prayer is a day that says, I don't need you. I've got this under control. A day without getting God's perspective in his word. Listen, more than likely, we're going to spend more time at home. I mean, probably uh, there's a large number of you already saying you're working from home. You've been asked to work from home. Listen, we're going to be at home more. This is not a time to binge watch Netflix. Is there, There's nothing wrong with that. Do some of that. That's fine. But it's also a time to be binging on the word of God. You're going to have time. What are you going to do with it? It is time to be in God's word. So listen to what he says. He says, and then he moves from this. Then he moves right in to look at five verses one and three. Here's the thing about James as working on this. 
and, and just putting this together, James connects things that we separate. Okay, this is the, and that's what wisdom does. It connects things that we separate, okay? So he's talking about, oh, planning and everything, and then look at 5, verse 1. All of a sudden, he starts talking to rich people. Why? Because rich people make plans a lot. Because rich people depend on their wealth a lot, and they anticipate that wealth being there when they need it. So he says, come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. Listen, there's going to be severe economic repercussions, and there already has been. I've got a dear friend who's a Bible college professor, and, uh, you know, they don't make much. And, uh, and so he has a travel agency on the side that helps the income for his family. He has already lost this week $30,000, and, and just like in a, in, a, you know, in a heartbeat. And he's got $130,000 that is tied up in another country, and he's hoping to get it back before the company goes under. Travel agency. You know, we have a group of guys that were going to, together for the gospel. And those poor guys that are heading up together for the gospel are trying to keep their financial commitments, probably trying to figure out how to honor the payments we've already made and whether to, you know, and I think it's inevitable. I think they're waiting to work out. I mean, there's just money. There's just money involved that people aren't going to get back. And then you think about people who unfortunately live in debt and live paycheck to paycheck and have incredible debt and, and maybe work in a stadium by providing popcorn and drinks. That's all gone. What are they going to do? Listen, it's our inability contrasted with God's great ability. Here's an opportunity for us to be reminded who is the pr- provider. Here's number four. Our vulnerability, vulnerability, I have a speech impediment with R's and L's, so that's hard for me. Vulnerability and God's pity. We are vulnerable, and yet God has pity on us. Because you're like, wow, this sounds really you know, serious. Well, it is, but here's the good news. God looks at us and all our weakness and all, all of our vulnerability, and he has pity Honest. So here's what I want you to see. Here's, I want to talk here about social distancing. This isn't fun. Okay, this isn't going to be fun. If we have to really go into this, it's not, gonna, it's not fun, except for the, intro, you know, the introverts. You know, I already uh, encouraged some of our introverts. You're going to be loving this, you know. But even introverts aren't going to love it because introverts love it on their terms. Okay, again, back to the control, right? And my wife is, you know, and my daughter, they're, they're, they, they, you know, you know, at first Amber's like, I don't want to come home and be in the house with you too. It's going to drive me crazy. And I said, well, we love you too and hope you come back soon, you know, because it just, you know, it's, it, you're just being, you know, it, yeah. And I'm thinking, well, okay, I didn't say anything, but you know, it's going to be interesting because here's the thing. It's going to be the wisest and the safest thing to do. And please understand, you know, it's about consistency, okay? So, like, if we have to go online and you're like, oh, yeah, you know, I read a great article. Uh, social distancing is not a snow day. Okay, this isn't snow day, meaning, oh, we get to go out and play. Oh, we don't have to go to church. Let's go shopping. Or, you know, I'm working from home, and now I can just run to the store whenever I want. No. In other words, if we're not having church in this building and gathering for safety and for wisdom, then that means, you know, we shouldn't be frequenting restaurants. We shouldn't be just running around, you know, hey, let's all go. Let's go play Twister at Pastor Chris's house. That's what not we should not be doing. But here's the thing. Isolation, quarantine, and exclusion can be painful. And listen to me, it can lead to depression and greater temptation. When these kind of things happen, people get anxious and pressured. And don't, you know, even the people with strong fronts and you're like, oh, you know, no, pressure. Pressure produces depression and temptation. And so we need to be aware of that. In this article, Mark Oden said this, A 55-year-old restaurant owner from central Naples has recently been quarantined, having tested positive for COVID-19. 
He was said to have felt relatively well physically, but was saddened by the reactions of many of his neighbors. The thing that has hurt, and here's a quote, the thing that, from the article, the thing that has hurt him more than his positive diagnosis for coronavirus is the way he and his family have been treated by the city in which he lives. And so we're vulnerable, okay? But God has pity. So let me give you two thoughts here. Let me give you two thoughts. We are probably going to have to deal with greater isolation that can lead to these two things. So here's what I want to give you two thoughts. Number one, I want you to think about how our homebound senior citizens feel all the time. This is about how our homebound senior citizens who may be able to come here to church once a week, but basically during the week, they're quarantined, so to speak. And so let me ask you, have you ever visited our elderly in their homes? Now, I'm not recommending that at this time. That's not the wisest thing at this time. But, but there is this thing called the phone, okay, that you can be calling. I, you know, and so here, here are people who are already, in a sense, socially isolated, but they're seeing and hearing, and you get anxious when you're isolated and you hear. So could we just have pity, right? Like God has pity on us. Let's have pity and call some of these people and not to gossip and not to talk about the virus to incite greater anxiety after you get off the phone, but to actually maybe share one of these points, to share one of these verses, pray with them on the phone. Amen? Is it, does that make sense? So that's the first thing. Think about our homebound senior citizens and have pity on them. And then number two, think about how isolation leads to great. Oh, 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 before I finish that, James 1 27. I'm telling you, every one of these points, James deals with every one of these points. James 1 27. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their distress and keep oneself unstained by the world. That's what I'm saying. James brings together what we separate. So we're thinking, oh yeah, let's visit the old people. Yeah, and you stay pure in your isolation. So that's the second thing. Be on guard for greater temptation in the weeks ahead. Be on guard about greater temptation. One of the saddest things I have seen recently is this, that some porn company has offered free uh, subscriptions to their porn service to Italian men who are holed up in their homes. Now, is there anything more wicked and of the devil than that type of offer and yet see they're think they're 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 wiser you know they're wiser than than some of god's people because they're like hey we got them where they're wanted they're isolated they're pressured they're frustrated let's tempt them of course they don't use those words let's make money off of their depravity is what they do so listen to james 1 turn to james 1 13 through 17 james 1 13 through 17 and I'm, I'm, I'm really serious on this. Whether the temptation is to immorality or the temptation is to depression, you need and we need to be on guard and praying for one another. So here's James 1, 13 through 17. Let no one say when he, was, when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. It's God's fault. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. God is for you, not against you. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good thing. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting. Listen, God has pity on us. 
God's good gifts are not meant to tempt us, let us be on guard. Let me end with James 5.11. James 5.11. We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is miserable, is miserable, is merciful. He's merciful. Okay. And so here's the idea. Endure because on the, because in the midst of this, God is compassionate and he's merciful. And at the other side, and there is another side and we're going to come out on the other side, but we want to come out having remained pure and unstained, having shown pity on others instead of, uh, instead of drowning in self-pity. And we want to be able to have the testimony that the, the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So here's number five. Five is our anxiety and God's generosity. Our anxiety and God's generosity. Now, you know, what has been your reaction to this crisis? It is so easy to be get gripped by what? Worry? Fear? Anxiety? Selfishness? Selfishness. I mean, what's all, you know, when you take, when you take all the toilet paper and you're not thinking of your neighbor, that's selfishness. That's selfishness. You're thinking only of yourself. He's, uh, Mark says in his article, it's easy to see the coronavirus everywhere I look. I mean, I've experienced that just this week. You know, it's just like, oh, did I, did I just touch my face? Do I, do I wash my hands now? Um, uh, Zach's in there coughing a little bit. Zach, you okay? Do you need to go home? I think you need to leave. You know, it's just, you know, you're just thinking the whole thing all the time, right? It's just, you're, you're touching everything and you're seeing everything and all of a sudden you're aware. And all that can do is create, you know, anxiety. It's like, okay, this keyboard, what's going on with it? Everything you do. Now, but instead of fear and anxiety, we should be thinking faith and generosity. Faith and generos- generosity. Now, I'm not going to take the time, because of time, to read James chapter 2. But if you read James chapter 2, verses 1 through 16. James 2, 1 through 16. And it's so fascinating because, again, James connects what we separate. And so all of you probably here today would say, hey, I have faith in God, but he connects our faith in God with our generosity to those in need. And he says, you can have faith, but when someone has need and you say, be warmed and filled and send them off with nothing or hoard all their toilet paper from them, then you're not have exercising faith. So I pray for myself, for my family, for you, that our faith would be a generous faith looking for how we can meet the needs of others. And again, we're, you know, if we're going to be in strict isolation, that's going to look different ways. You know, I, I was thinking in my mind, you know, I'd like to go up and down my street and give them a card saying, you know, just saying, hey, we're, pr- we're praying for you as our neighbors. But I'm like, well, no, we don't want to give them a card that we just handled, you know. So maybe we'll just go door to door, knock on the door and say, hey, I know these are trying times. Uh, you're our neighbor. Could we just pray for you? We're not going to go in their house. We're not going to touch them. Just can we pray for you? Just have a little piece of paper and say, what can I pray for you? Uh, we've talked about the app, uh, bless your neighbor, bless every home. You can be praying for neighbors on a weekly basis that you haven't even met during this crisis. So there's all sorts of ways to do that. So anxiety versus generosity, the love for neighbors. So let me give you number six. Number six is our necessity and God's priority. Our necessity and God's priority. This kind of builds off the previous one. So let me cut to the chase. Um, What we think is a necessity and what God says is a necessity are two different things. 
So apparently, in a pandemic, Americans think toilet paper is a necessity. I don't know why. I don't. Although I did read, I did read of a pastor friend that I know of who said, "Hey, we uh, a single guy that we know ran out of toilet paper, and you, he, so he doesn't have any because you can't go and buy it. So they were gonna spare a square for this friend and said that. So anyway, it was just interesting." So there, some people do run out, I guess. Now, according to Matthew 6, listen, according to Matthew 6, what does God say our needs are? According to Matthew 6, what's our necessities? Food and clothing. Food and clothing. And there's even a debate whether clothing includes shelter. But, let, well, you know, I don't know. You know, a tent. Food and clothing. But according to Matthew 6... What does God say should be our priority? Yeah, Matthew 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and He will add these things to you. And so, again, Matthew 6, if you read Matthew 6, 24 through 34. I mean, here's how it ends. We'll just, you know, well, let me read 33 and 34. Because again, this brings together things that we separate. For verse 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble for its own. And what does seeking first the kingdom mean in Matthew 6? It means praying first and foremost for what? Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then give us our daily bread. So there's the priority and there's the necessity all laid out for us. But here's the beauty of it. In James 5, in James 5, 13 through 18, we're told how we ought to pray. And we ought to pray like Elijah. Okay, persist in praying. And so I'm telling you, James has tons of things to share with us on this. Let me go to number seven. Number seven is this. Our vanity and God's eternity. Our vanity and God's eternity. Wisdom uh, of Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And it's so easy to lose perspective in the midst of the madness of our lives. Now, here's the thing. Our lives are filled with so much stuff that we lose sight of God and we lose sight of what's important. Okay? Well, guess what? Life's going to be different and life is going to slow down and life's going to be a little more isolated. It's an opportunity for us to reflect on what's really important and what's vanity in our lives versus what's eternal in God's estimation. Now, let me give you a great example of this that I saw on TV the other day. So uh, I had to look up what golf event because I'm no golfer, but apparently the Masters... Is that what was postponed? I had to look it up. Yeah, so, TPC. yeah, okay. So, you know, do what? TPC was was, uh, was canceled, and then the Masters coming up is not going to happen. Well, there you go. So, if you need Corona golf updates, Mr. Jeff will help you out with that. So, Jeff, for whatever reason, I happened to be well. It was on Sports Center, and so I was there, and it was talking about golf. Why I stopped, Jeff, I do not know, but I did. And so the Masters was canceled. So they were interviewing the golfers about what the thing. And so you know the guy, yeah, this is you know we really want to play. And then all of a sudden there was an Asian golfer, Jeff, and I assume he must be good if they interviewed him and he's going to be in the Masters. Do you know the Asian guys? There's several of them. Okay. All right, and he was young. So they interviewed this Asian golfer, and they had these other guys. They interviewed them, and then the Asian golfer, and, and, and here's what he said. And it immediately arrested my attention because he said, well, it's going to mean I get to spend more time with my family. Amen. You know, this guy is a, a professional golfer, so I'm sure he's on the road. And then he just said this, and it was just so natural. And then he said, and... You know, after all, you're asking, it's golf. It's golf. And I just thought that was classic. It was just classic. This guy 
obviously, I, 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 now I want to research and find out who he is, right? And obviously, he's talented, and obviously, and, and, and I would think probably some of his other golfers would say, boy, you're not a competitor if you're thinking that way. But, you know, the guy's like, hey, you know what? There's a pandemic. It's only golf. Hey, it's a pandemic. What's vanity and what's eternity? All right? Think through that in the weeks to come. And again, James 1.17 says, Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of His will, He brought us forth by the word of truth, so that we would be a kind of first fruits among His creatures. God has made us the first fruits of the new creation. We have eternal life. We don't need to panic. And that brings me to number eight. Our depravity and God's certainty. Our depravity and God's certainty. Now, what do I mean by that? In a sense, the most important question is not, what hope do you have in the face of the coronavirus? The most important question is, what hope do you have in the face of the greater virus, and that is the virus of sin? That every human being is born without antibodies, and every human being has already caught, and the proof of the symptoms is not a cough or a fever or an aching. The proof of the symptoms is that we are sinners. And so that is our depravity, and that is our great problem. Romans 3.23 says this, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all caught it. And Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. And I think I have the quote in your notes. Uh, Kevin DeYoung uh, said this last week, and I just I really grabbed hold of it, and it's this. Our biggest concern in life is not sickness. It's sin. Listen, it's not... Will you die? It's what's going to happen to you after you die. By all means, let's do all we can to limit the spread of physical disease. But our precautions against vice should be even more than our precautions against a virus. Oh, I wish people would spend as much money and time in avoiding sin as we are in avoiding this virus. Make sense? Now... What is our hope? Our hope is Jesus and the gospel. The hope is Jesus said this, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And this is what I like. He says, if we die, we're going to live. But if we believe, we're already living. You're already living in the Lord. So here's James 5, 7 through 11. So let me end with this. James 5, 7 through 11. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We've been studying Isaiah, and we studied those prophets last week. We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. Amen. Amen. Let's take these eight perspectives and let's reflect on them. Uh, maybe you would join me in reading James for the next couple of weeks. I don't know. Whatever you got your plan, as long as you're in the word, 
But as Christ followers, let's live with a gospel-shaped response that's faith-based instead of fear-based, that's hope-filled instead of worry-filled, right? That is love-acting instead of self-protecting, and one that is Christ-centered and not crisis-centered. Amen? So I don't know if we're going to meet like this next week. I don't know. So be alert. Be together. Uh, I, you know, I, I don't know, maybe I'll have Chris come over, we'll play some Twister, and then have him videotape me teaching Isaiah. I don't know what we're going to do, okay? But uh, would you take this perspective? And I, and I think of Dane, you know, as a police officer, let's, let's pray for him, right? Uh, let's pray for one another, okay? Uh, because some people don't get to isolate. Our medical first responders, um, you know, and even as a pastor, you know, I, I don't have the luxury of some, you know, some of those things. And, and I'm not complaining and I'm not whining. I'm just saying it's how it is. You got to reach out to people. And you know what? God's bigger than a virus as we sanitize our hands in prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, a sure and steady word. Thank you for your stability, your sovereignty, your pity. Lord, your your just certainty of the hope of the gospel. And Lord, real people are entering into eternity. Uh, Many of them in countries that don't have a strong light for the gospel. And we, we think of our missionaries. I mean, I think of the McAllisters willing to go back. And I, I, I think of, of the Mortons who desire to go back. I think of our police officers, our, our medical uh, hospital people, and, and just us as Christians who need to reach out. And I just pray for healing, protection, for grace and generosity. And Lord, may we look for opportunity to open our mouths, and may we pray for open hearts that we don't waste this pandemic for advancing the kingdom. Give us wisdom, Pastor Bruce, myself, our leadership council. Lord, give us wisdom in the, in the hours, in the days of head, ahead. And Lord, may your name be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.